Hey everyone, we're so glad that you've tuned in for this message today. I believe God gave me a word for you and I believe the word of God is going to bring you strength. I believe God's going to bring someone comfort and take someone to a new level. I want you to watch this message that the Lord gave me and at the end, I'm gonna come back and we're gonna pray for you. God bless you, enjoy this word. Philippians chapter two, this morning I wanna read verses one through 15. Somebody said that's too many scripture. But some of y'all ain't read the Bible all week. So we're going to give you all you need in one sermon. Amen. I'm kidding. The Bible's a good thing to read. Amen. And we need the Bible in the day and hour that we're living in. I don't think you can read too much Bible. So today I want to read 15 verses of Philippians chapter 2. And I want to preach a message called The Christian, the Cross, and the Crooked World. The Christian, the Cross, and the Crooked World. Let's look at Philippians 2, verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Holy Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, say lowliness of mind, let each person esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a bondservant and came in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on the earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, everyone say therefore. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not, in, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. This is going to free some people today. You don't have to work on your neighbor's salvation. You don't even have to work on your spouse's salvation. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Do all things. I'm getting ready to come up onto the foundation like Noxzema. I'm coming in hard today. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless. Children of God without fault 
in the midst of a crooked, uh uh-huh, crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in this world. The Christian, the cross, and the crooked world. Help me preach today, Father, I ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Today's text is found in the book of Philippians. It is written to the church at Philippi. This is a church that was birthed in Paul's second missionary journey as he found himself trying, according to Acts 16, trying to go to Bithynia and to Asia. He wanted to go there to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet the Bible tells us in the 16th chapter of Acts that the Holy Spirit forbid him to go to Asia. He would not let him go to Bithynia. And so Paul sails up to Samothrace and from Samothrace goes to Troas. And while he takes a pit stop in his missionary journey in the city of Troas, frustrated, I imagine, because the door to Asia would not open for him. Frustrated because every time he tried to get to Bithynia, it couldn't work. And so he is sleeping in Troas, resting in his missionary journey. And the Bible says, one night while in Troas, Paul had an open vision. And in this open vision, he sees a man from Macedonia who says to Paul, come over here and help us. You understand that sometimes we want to go to Asia, but there are times when God wants us to go to Troas or he wants us to go to Macedonia. There are times we want to press our way into into opening a door, but God will shut it and a shut door in Asia doesn't mean God is through with you. Shut doors often indicate redirection. Someone today needs to quit interpreting closed doors as if God were through with you and you need to get pliable and moldable and you need to be willing to say, God, I wanted to go to Asia. I wanted to go to that city. I wanted to go to that state. I wanted to go to that college. I wanted to go to that place. But if you're calling me somewhere else, I refuse to live my life frustrated about a closed door because I believe that you're good enough to open a door that no man can shut. And when God gets ready to bless you and he shuts one thing down, you've got to learn how to interpret that as redirection and God loved you too much to let you get in a place you were not called to go. And what Paul is getting ready to understand is that when God said, no, you can't go to Asia, it is because God wanted to birth the church in Europe. And this midnight vision of the man from Macedonia saying, come over here, Paul, is an invitation for Paul to take the gospel into Europe. 
And I don't have time to go through the whole journey, but it is amazing. When Paul gets this vision, he packs up his boat. He and his entourage sail to Macedonia, and they find themselves at a place called Philippi. The 16th chapter of Acts tells us that Philippi was the crown jewel of Macedonia. It was the, uh, the most important city in that colony. And Paul goes to Philippi down to the river at the time to pray. And it is there that he finds a woman who was the seller of purple. Her name was Lydia. She and other ladies from the village were praying and Paul began to introduce to them the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. While they are there in Philippi, Paul and his entourage encounter a woman. She has a demon spirit called Pythos. Uh, the King James says it's divination. The Greek calls it Pythos. It literally was a spirit manifesting through this woman that would, uh, this spirit would, you know what a python does? A python doesn't kill quickly. It doesn't bite ferociously. It wraps itself around its victim and waits on it to breathe. And upon inhaling to breathe, the python squeezes even harder until finally they have squeezed the life out of that victim. And that is what happens in Acts chapter 16. Every day Paul went to minister this woman with the spirit of Python. She tagged along and she mocked and she berated and she said, these are servants of the most high God. One day Paul had enough of the devil and he turned around to that woman while standing in Philippi and rebuked the demon and cast it out of the woman and delivered that lady and she got set free but Paul got put in prison. Oh, if I had the time to preach, I would tell you that sometimes the gospel will get you into a place where you will be anointed to free people, but the freedom you bring to others may cause a backlash and the enemy will try to attack you and throw you in jail. Well, the Bible said that they put Paul and Silas in a prison in the Philippian jail. And at midnight, if I had time to preach, at midnight, Paul and Silas began to sing praises unto God. At midnight, they began to sing hallelujahs. If they had a red back hymnal, I believe they would have sang somewhere in glory land. I believe they could have sang I fly away. I believe they could have sang there's power in the blood. Whatever they began to sing, it got in the atmosphere in the prison in Philippi. And the Bible said at midnight while they prayed and sang praises, God said, an earthquake to the jail and he shook the jail cell and oh yes shake rattle and roll happened first in Philippi and when he shook the prison the bars of the prison flew open watch this and Paul and every prisoner began to escape don't miss it the Philippian jailer knowing that his life was on the line was about to kill himself for the escape of every prisoner in the prison but before he could kill himself Paul said do thyself no harm. We are all here. Look at this. The same prisoner, the same prisoner, Paul, who had been beaten by the Philippian jailer, goes to the jailer's house, and the same jailer that hit him on the back poured oil and wine into his wounds and healed Paul up, and Paul led his whole family to the Lord, and that is where 
The Philippian church was birthed from a woman on a riverbank and a demon-possessed young lady who got delivered and a Philippian jailer and his whole family. When God starts a church, he'll use all kinds of people. Can you imagine pastoring a church and the first, your launch team, was a woman who sold fabric, a woman who had demons, and a Philippian jailer and his kids and wife. That's how God starts a church. Sometime later, we understand that this church experienced tremendous blessing and growth. And it is why here on Paul's deathbed, and that's where he essentially is. He's in prison. This would be the last prison epistle that he would write. Most theologians believe that he was in the prison at Ephesus as he wrote this. Wherever he was, we know that he was in prison. And yet 16 times in this one epistle, he uses the word joy. Oh, I feel like shaking the devil out of the tree today and putting him on the run. I'm telling you right now, you can have joy no matter where you are. There are people who have to have everything lined up and you have to have all your bills paid and you have to have all the money in the bank and your kids are going to be acting just right and the, everything's got to be just right. But sometimes you got to find joy in the middle of a hole when you feel like you're in a dungeon. When it feels like nothing is going right, that's when God gives us true joy. He is in this jail cell riding to the church that he saw birthed on his second missionary journey. He is not writing to correct a mistake. He is not writing to address a heresy that is floating through the church. He is writing to say thank you. Thank you for your generosity in blessing the ministry because the church at Philippi endeared themselves to Paul and they had given him offerings so that he could continue to do the work of the Lord. And he wrote to the church at Philippi to say thank you. And in this second chapter, he begins to overflow in his salutation and in his gratitude, and he begins to talk to them about unity. He says to them, don't miss it, he says to them in this first and second verse, if there's any consolation in the Holy Ghost, be in one mind, be in one accord. This is interesting language. The last time I remember reading about being in my one mind and in one accord, I have to flip back to Acts chapter 2. Because on the day of Pentecost, when it had fully come, they were all in one mind and in one accord. Not a Honda. <laughs> Paul understands that the need for unity is the most powerful thing that the church can come into. He, he, says, he, he says, I want you to endeavor uh, to be in one mind and in one accord. It's almost as if Paul is saying, because I remember what happens when the church gets in unity. I remember what happens when the psalmist in Psalm 133 said, how good and how pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. It is like the oil that flows down the beard upon Aaron's garments all the way down to the skirts of his clothing. For where there is unity, the, there the Lord has commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. There's something powerful when the church comes into a place of unity. And Paul says to them, because I want you to operate in unity, don't miss this, 
If you're going to have unity corporately, you must get yourself right individually. <sighs> there is something that affects the macro level. When I say macro, M-A-C-R-O, I am talking about the corporate entity of the church. But if we're going to address the lack of unity at a corporate level, we must first, oh yes, look in the mirror and be willing to deal at the micro level. Because we will never change things globally if we don't change things individually. I'm not getting no help in the church. What we want is something to happen at an at-large level that trickles down and touches us individually. But that is not how the kingdom gets to a place of unity. In order for unity to come into the kingdom, watch this, the Bible said that individually they had to assess their own uh, mental attitude and make sure that on a personal level they were operating in a way that would promote unity at a corporate level. Ah... Uh. And where, where do I see this? He says, uh, yes, fulfill you my joy being like-minded. Everyone say like-minded. Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. This is all verse 2. Now watch this. Paul tells us how to get to a place of being like-minded. Now some people in this room and watching me online right now will resist the notion of being like-minded. I refuse to be like everyone else. That is not what he's talking about. He is not advocating a removal of individuality. He is not talking about uniformity. He is talking about unity. Hmm. Uniformity is everyone in here dress the same, look the same, smell the same, act the same, sing the same, shout the same, drive the same, live in the same. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying no matter what is different about us, make sure we are all gathered around this common purpose. Two things must happen for us to be like-minded. And I can tell you right now, our flesh doesn't want to hear either one of them. So let me just proactively tell you, you're not going to enjoy the next two points. Number one. We must operate in lowliness of mind. I'm just teaching and offending. Look at verse 3. Do nothing through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. And here's what that literally means in the Greek. Pouring out your mind so it can be filled with the mind of Christ. <laughs> literally, Lowliness of mind means reduce the amount of your opinion and increase the volume of his opinion in your thinking. I'll go over here and teach. Reduce the volume of your thinking. If I had a pitcher of water full of dirty water, I would, I would show you that because that's what Paul is essentially saying. He's saying, Empty out your dirty thinking so that your vessel can be poured into and receive, watch, the mind of Christ. If the church is in a certain kind of way right now in our day and time, it is only because she's thinking her thoughts and not thinking his. The second thing is not only do we empty out our minds so that we can be filled with his, watch this, 
But we must have a mind and a mentality and attitude and a system of thinking that we can call all come into harmony with. Who gets to decide what we ought to be doing? This is why the church is in trouble sometimes. Because everybody's, you ever heard this? I'm going to give you a piece of my mind. I don't want a piece of my mind. You don't want a piece of my mind. I don't want a piece of your mind. I want to find the mind of Christ. Because it is the mind and mentality and thinking of Christ that all of us should aspire to come in harmony with. Am I making sense today? This is why there are issues of unity in the church. It's because we are promoting thinking that is stinking rather than telling people to repent and get their mind in harmony with Christ. How can I live right if you're telling me your opinion rather than preaching me the truth so that my lifestyle can come up to the word of God rather than you telling me what you think and making me feel good in bringing God down to think like me. I don't want a God who thinks like me. I want a God who thinks higher, greater. I want a God who stretches me in his, pulls me in his direction. I'm getting there. And so Paul says, let this mind, Christian, be in you. If we're going to get into unity and have full maximum efficiency operating on all cylinders, if we're going to get into unity, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We need to get a mentality like Jesus had. We need to think more like Jesus thought. We need the mind. Look at somebody, tell them we need the mind of Christ. Tell them, let this mind be in you. Come on, tell your neighbor, tell your neighbor, karate chop them, elbow them, holler at them, do something. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, let this mind be in you. You got to let it be in you. Oh, you got to let it be in you because you're living in an adversarial climate that is trying to repel the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you. Don't let it skip you by. Don't think your neighbor's the only one that needs to hear this message. Don't think I'm talking to somebody down the end of your row. I'm let this mind be in you. You got to let this mind get down in you. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I, mm, we, we need to hear this. We've heard this. I hope you've heard this in your life, but I want you to watch at the dissension of Jesus as he comes to the rescue for us. Let this mind be in you. That was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the... He started out equal with God, and before the text is through, he has died on a cross. 
the death of the Christ. Let this mind be in you. Oh, praise the Lord. I want the mind of Christ. You better, you better make sure you understand what I'm talking about. The mind of Christ thinks crazy thoughts. Oh, they're not crazy. They're just countercultural to what we're being taught in this day. Because if you want to know how this culture teaches you to think, promote yourself. Advertise yourself. Put another selfie. Jesus said, I like hiding. I like preferring others. In fact, I like towels instead of titles. I was God incarnate. I came in human flesh. I was the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was the life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shone in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And John chapter 1 goes into this crescendo, and he crescendos, and he says something crazy. And this Word became flesh and dwelt among us before you think you deserve Jesus, be reminded he didn't have to come. He was the word and the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He came because we needed a rescuer. We needed a savior. We needed an emancipator. We needed somebody to forgive us. This is why the church has lost her praise. We are entitled and we think we deserved him. I did not deserve him. I was a wretched wreck. I was a sinful mess. I was doomed for an eternity hearing the howls and cackles from the bowels of an eternal flame. I am only here today not because of my faith, not because of my testimony, not because of what I did for him. I was lost in the sea of sin Jesus came and took me in does anybody want to praise him for being rescued Lord Jesus help me preach church I need to come up here and calm down but I feel like hollering we have to drum everyone up get them all excited to clap their hands for 30 seconds to make us feel like we have a praising church. You were lost until he found you. You were a nobody going nowhere till Jesus came. Let God be true and every man be a liar. Let us praise him for his marvelous grace. Let us thank him for his, his mercies that endure forever and forever. I'm thankful to Tabochantarabaya. I am thankful to be saved today. He came, Christian, he came, and he humbled himself, and he preferred me, and he preferred you over his own self. In fact, he emptied himself of all the privileges of being God, and he came and wrapped himself in the suit of humanity, and he clothed himself in a garment of flesh. And he came through the virgin womb of a girl named Mary. 
Why did he come from the portals and pavilions of glory and descend through 40 and two generations and come on the backside of a Bethlehem sheep field to be born in a sinful, chaotic, crazy, antagonistic, oppositional world? I tell you why. Because in Tandorobokoshaya, in 2021, he saw me and he saw you and he saw our need for him. And he said, I'll leave it all behind, Daddy. I'll leave everything I've got in glory. I'll come down and be born. I'll walk the walk for 33 years. I'll suffer and die on a cross so that every red and yellow and black and white and rich and poor and boy and girl and mom and dad, everybody can be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You preach like this in this day and time. Somebody yesterday said to me, why do you preach like you're in WrestleMania? WrestleMania. I'm in a wrestling match with the Prince of Darkness and I came to tell every bound soul in this house there is a man that came so that you might come. I feel, I feel him in this room. I feel God in him. Woo! He came and he showed us he showed us He showed us, he showed us how to die. Christian, the way to live is to embrace the cross. But Pastor Wallace, he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Oh, I agree. But that doesn't mean he came to accommodate your Western view of Christianity and give you all the goosebumps and all the thrills of Christianity and that's what he, no, he came to show you and I how to find true joy in life. Not this stuff we call life. There are people in this room today, you would shout all over this church if it weren't for the debt, financial debt, that we've accumulated in the name of pursuing the American dream to keep up with people next door who are not even looking at us. That ain't joy. He came to show us how to live. And he invited us, Christians, he invited us to a cross to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. This is counter, we always talk about affecting culture, like a new program or a new light show is going to affect culture. New smoke. You can add bells and whistles to your worship service. You can add four guitar players and keyboard. You can do whatever you want, but that ain't what makes you culturally relevant. Jesus 
shows us how to be culture changers. I'm going to show it to you. He says, if you really want to be known in heaven, if you really want to have power with God, he humbled himself. He became obedient to death. And even the death on the cross. Have you ever considered what it looked like on Friday when the Son of God is bleeding out? Stripped, bruised, beating, and naked torrents for the whole society passing by to see. His body emaciated, his face swollen, eyes sunk back in his head, on his head, a crown of thorns, side beaten. This is the Son of God. That's why Paul refuses to talk about resurrection without first talking about suffering. Because he recognizes the path to resurrection power unavoidably walks through the place of pressure and crushing. We need a more robust theology of suffering in the church. I got two amens and one, come on, thank you. Two come ons. I recently... Thank the Lord. Devin is so happy for this. We recently finished, I finished my first book. Yeah. Amen. And we're getting it all edited up and we're working on some things. And I was asking a, a certain person, and I'm really excited about who is going to write the forward and the endorsement, but I was asking a certain person for an endorsement. They said, what's your book called? I said, after this. What's it about? It's about how God uses struggles to open doors into the greatness that he has for us. He's like, I don't know if I want to write an endorsement for that. But struggle. It's a little heavy right now. We don't, we are wussifying the church. That's what we're doing. We're not a bunch of Pentecostal pansies running around shouting because everything happens like we want when we want. Hell can break loose and we still come to church on Sunday even with tears coming down our eyes and we shout and praise God. Friday hurts, but Sunday's coming and I want to tell you, Christian, if you ever find the pain and the weight of a cross, if you ever feel what it feels like to have to die to something, if you let it die on a cross, it will experience the power of God in the future. Every time the devil turns up the heat, we don't bow. You know what we do? We do what the, the Hebrew boys do. We say our God is able to deliver. But even if he doesn't deliver, I'll never bow my knee to that image. And I'll never dance to the tune of your sound. I'm going to walk hand in hand with the God that brought me out of darkness into his marvelous life. Someone shout all over the church. Someone with a made-up mind ought to give him a praise this morning.
Stay in the text. Watch. Hallelujah. He was obedient to the point of death. Even the death of the cross. This text comes to life to me personally in moments where I sense an opportunity to put my name out there. And these words haunt my flesh. He made himself of no reputation. I may have to finish this message next week, I don't know. Made himself of no reputation. And we spend our time trying to make ourselves a reputation. There are times we want to promote ourselves. They did it to Jesus. Aren't you the king? He wouldn't answer him a word. Show us a sign. Qualify the claim that they're making about you that you are the Messiah. Show us a sign. There'll be no sign for you, he said. The moments that Jesus had opportunities to flaunt his greatness he hid himself and trusted that in time the father would unhide him. This is turning our culture upside down. I get so nervous for our Christian preachers and our worship leaders and our, now we call them entertainers. We don't hide enough. We don't get low enough. And if we would understand the power of humility and not having to have our name known, That's why Paul previously said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. The King James uses the word vainglory. It doesn't say you can't consider your own interest. It says don't consider your interests only. But consider the interests of others. The cross is an indictment on this self-centered, self-aggrandizing culture that we find ourselves in. Where we cancel what we hate and criticize those who we disagree with 
every single person needs a dose of Calvary. They walked all over me. They did it to Jesus too. And they've done it to you and I before and will again. And you're just going to have to understand that their opinion of you doesn't matter as much as his opinion of you. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. When's the last time you and another person were vowing, vying for the same thing and you preferred your brother? I don't want you to answer, weep, cry, wail, nothing. Just wink at me if I'm talking to you. <laughs> you know when it was for me? Yesterday. I don't want to talk about it, Amy. I'm tired of talking. I'm, I'm still mad. I really am. I'm still mad. <laughs> Chad's dying right now. <laughs> My God. Great point. Killed the TV thing. Okay. I'm, 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 at, I'm at a place yesterday. There is a parking spot that the favor of God on my life calls me to have. You understand what I'm saying? Favor. It's the kind of stuff you get by confessing and declaring, I'm head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. Woo, pulled in and God, you gave it to me. And behind me is this little lady who can barely see over the dash. The next parking place is light years from the door. And I'm about to whip in saying, look what the Lord has done. Literally fixing to pull the steering wheel. And I know what I'm preaching today. And you know what the thought crossed my mind? God, the devil is tormenting me <laughs> over taking this blessing that you're giving me. But in moments as comical and inconsequential as that, we determine the content of our heart. Now there have been times I didn't give it to the little lady I watched her walk miles <laughs> to get to that store. But the reality of it is, she'll never know why I kept on driving. It ain't for her to know. I just recognize something. His eyes on my life. If I can't pass those little tests, I can't pass these tests. 
When will we stop fighting to prove our value and our worth and telling everyone our reputation and decide to be like Jesus and not make, itself, make ourselves a reputation? Man, this is heavy. And he makes himself of no reputation and he becomes obedient to the death, even the death of the cross. And, 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 and you don't stop at the cross. This is the beauty of Christianity, Christian. You never stop on Friday. Sunday's coming. For those who have hidden themselves and have concealed their life and have decided you're not going to live to flaunt your reputation, I want to tell you, the earth may never know your name, but heaven will never ignore the kind of life lived for the glory of God. I'm not going to wake up every day for vain glory. I want to wake up every day to live for his glory. This is what Paul says. I'm wrapping up. Paul says in verse number 12, uh, 14, do all things without complaining and disputing. Lord, I wish I had time. <sighs> do you know what that word complaining and disputing means in the Greek? It means hidden under your breath. Complaining and murmuring. It's not like I hate this. I don't like this. It's not it's this. It's Chris. I don't like the way he does that. We we cloak it in we cloak it in this way. Have you been praying for these people lately? We need to have a prayer meeting and we need to pray for people who we don't like and disguise what we don't like by hiding it in spiritual language. Okay, <laughs> wow. We, it's really a covert cynical attack. You don't have the wherewithal to do it to their face or to disagree like Matthew 18 would have you. So you have to create a clique or a clan. And you have to introduce the thought that is an attack in spiritual ways. You probably want to play something a bit more Jaws-like, like dun, 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 dun. It's, that makes me feel too good. Um, yes. Um, you, you, you disguise it in ways that sounds spiritual. And I don't even know who I'm talking to, but I'm warning someone today. How we talk, dispute, complain, and murmur among ourselves and act as if we can because we're mature is not a stroke of maturity. It's a stroke of immaturity. And Paul says that when we act in these ways, we find ourselves full of fault and full of blame. If you want to live a blameless, faultless, read the Bible, blameless, faultless, harmless life in a crooked world, keep yourself from murmuring and complaining. I'm not being adversarial. I'm simply telling you the last group that did that, the earth opened up and swallowed them all. 
People are like, what? What a horrible thing to say. No, remember when Moses leads the people of God out of Egypt into the promised land, they get out in the wilderness and they start murmuring and complaining and they didn't know that what they were saying was being heard by God. I just felt like I needed to caution and help somebody today to understand. Your boss, your work environment, your spouse, your church, don't be a mumbling, grumbling complainer. And just because you do it silently, low-key mumble, my son's favorite word now, you know, all these millennials, low-key, bro. Just because you're not animated and just because I'm not animated and I, I don't scream when I don't like my politicians. I'm turning around the whole church on this one, looking everybody over. We have to be blameless, faultless, and harmless. And when we operate in this sense of unity, in this sense of love, when we bear our cross and we don't prefer ourselves, and we prefer others and we love other people, when we put on the mind of Christ, then Bible says we shine like lights in this crooked world. Do you know what that word crooked is? Man, I love this. In the Greek, it's scolios. How many ever heard of scoliosis? Scoliosis? You know what scoliosis is? It's when your back is curved. How many, how many ever seen someone with scoliosis? In fact, I know this sounds weird. Some of you can't handle this. When I was praying and looking into this this week, I felt like God said he was going to heal scoliosis. God can heal scoliosis in a person's back. Can you say amen? In fact, if you have scoliosis and you need healing, I want you to lift your hand right now before I finish this sermon. Lay your hands on him, Amy, right now. If you have scoliosis, lift your hand right there. Back there, somebody lay your hand on that sweet young lady. Right over here and right here. Just lay your hand on him. It ain't going to take much. God can do this quickly. Right there. Lay your hand on them. If you have your hand up, I want somebody to pray with these, bro. Father, we just ask you right now to heal people of scoliosis in this sanctuary. I thank you for straightening up their back and taking the pain and the curve and the crookedness. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Somebody pray with me. I thank you for doing it right now in the name of Jesus. Backs are being healed. In Jesus' name, we speak and we command it to be straightened up. Rest, come, pain, be gone. God, heal your people today. God, heal your people today in Jesus' name. Paul said, watch, I'm done. Paul said, you live in a crooked world. Why is everybody so screwed up? Because we live in a crooked world. So what's the response of the Christian? Ready? Embrace the cross. Humble yourself. Stop the mumbling and grumbling and complaining. Shine like a light in the middle of a dark and crooked world. We need to be people of light in the midst of darkness. 
path to shining bright is not a well-worn path. Many people don't want that path. We want to carve out our own road and make our own name. Stand with me, I'm through preaching. And Jesus says, if you'll let me carve out the road and make you a name, I'll make you shine so bright. Do you understand that that kind of difference is what makes us shine? It's called contrast. The world is dark and crooked. We are called to be straight and shining. When you're straight and shining in a dark and crooked world, you stand out. You don't even have to try. I feel like some of us need to repent. I'm talking to Christians. We need to repent for mumbling, grumbling, and complaining. For being low-key in all of our mumbling, grumbling, and complaining. And make up our mind that with our words, we will be salt. With our lives, we will be light. We cannot in this moment in history afford to blend in with this crooked world. It is crooked. Governments are crooked. Politicians are crooked. I know it's crooked. Rather than walk around, do you understand that in 15 verses, only one verse is mentioned about how crooked the world is? Why? Paul didn't spend all of his time talking about the crooked world. He wanted to make sure he wasn't pastoring a crooked church. The world's going to be crooked till Jesus comes. It's going to be crooked. But the church doesn't have to be crooked with the world. Anybody want to live a straight, holy, clean, victorious? I said victorious. Anybody want to live a victorious life for Jesus? Friend, I believe God is speaking to hearts right now. This message, I pray, has stirred you. And there are some who are watching this message who are waiting on the opportunity to give their heart to Jesus Christ. Listen, the greatest day in your life is the day that you give your heart to Jesus Christ and allow him to become the Lord of your life. And if you want that opportunity, then right now I want to pray with you. You know, the Bible says in the book of Acts that God commands men and women everywhere to repent, to turn from their sin, and to turn to the living God. And the message of hope today for you is that no matter how messed up you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how far away from God you feel, He is only one prayer away. Would you turn your heart toward Him right now? Just say, Dear God, save me, forgive me, cleanse me of my sin, and make me new. I, I confess you as my Lord and Savior, Jesus, and I'm asking you to be the King of my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, friend, if you prayed that prayer, let us know today. We want to make sure you have a Bible. We want to make sure you know that as a local church here in Chattanooga, Tennessee, someone is praying for you. We hope to see you soon if you're in the Chattanooga area. And if not, get in a Bible-believing church somewhere and grow in your purpose in Christ. We love you. We're praying for you today. God bless you.